This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. Thank you for listening and welcome to a new episode, bringing you medical information and clinical guidance from a primary care perspective. My name is Fernando Florido and I'm a GP in the United Kingdom. In today's episode, I'm going to go through the American Diabetes Association and the European Association for the Study of Diabetes Consensus Guidelines on the overall approach in glucose-lowering medication in type 2 diabetes. I will firstly give you a list of the changes to the previous recommendations, followed by a description of the consensus recommendations flowchart. If you have been following previous episodes, you may be familiar with the updated NICE guidelines on the management of type 2 diabetes. However, the NICE recommendations, primarily followed in the UK, have some substantial differences when compared to other international recommendations, and this is why I have decided to do this episode today. You will notice that the main difference with NICE refers to the use of GLP-1 mimetics, which NICE considers to be less cost-effective. However, from a clinical perspective, there is now ample evidence in their favour, which justifies a wider use as described in the consensus guidelines. I will put in the description a link to download the full article as well as a summary of the changes and the flowchart. There is a YouTube version of this episode and other NICE guidance on the NICE GP YouTube channel and a link to access it can be found in the podcast description. Because of the visual nature of the flowchart, I would highly recommend watching the YouTube video if you can. Although describing visual aids as audio files can be challenging, I hope that you will find the content clear and informative. Right, so let's go right in. So we're going to start looking at the European Association for the Study of Diabetes and the American Diabetes Association Consensus Guideline on Managing Hyperglycemia in Type 2 Diabetes, published in December 2019 and corrected in May 2020. Now, before starting the treatment flowchart, we're going to go through the changes to the consensus recommendations, and this is just a brief summary of what the changes are. As a general consideration, we will say that in high-risk patients, the decision to treat with GLP-1 receptor agonists or an SGLT2 inhibitor should be considered independently of the HbA1c. This is because these agents have now been proven to reduce major adverse cardiovascular events, hospitalization for heart failure, cardiovascular deaths and CKD progression. In patients with established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, the level of evidence for cardiovascular benefit is greatest for GLP-1 receptor agonists, and this is in terms of reducing major adverse cardiovascular events. And because of this, to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, the GLP-1 receptor agonists can also be considered in patients who have no cardiovascular disease, but who are at high risk of cardiovascular disease. For patients with heart failure, especially if the heart failure has a reduced ejection fraction, that is an ejection fraction less than 45%, or if they have CKD with an EGFR between 30 and 60 and microalbuminuria with a urine albumin creatinine ratio greater than 30, particularly if it's greater than 300, the level of evidence is greatest for SGLT2 inhibitors. So SGLT2 inhibitors are recommended for patients with heart failure 
and equally the SGLT2 inhibitors are recommended for patients with CKD to prevent progression of CKD as well as the cardiovascular outcomes. Obviously, because there is a link between SGLT2 inhibitors and an increased risk of amputation, patients with foot ulcers or at high risk of amputation should only be treated with SGLT2 inhibitors after careful shared decision-making around the risks and benefits and with comprehensive education and foot care amputation prevention. Well, that was the summary of the changes. Now we're going to dive in straight into the flowchart, which is titled Glucose-Lowering Medication in Type 2 Diabetes Overall Approach. And in the right top corner, there is a note that tells us that to avoid clinical inertia, we need to review the patients regularly, ideally every three to six months. Now, the first thing that the flowchart tells us is that the first-line therapy is always metformin, as well as comprehensive lifestyle, including weight management and physical activity. So, metformin first of all, and then we're going to see if there are indicators of high risk or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, CKD or heart failure. If the patient has any of these, then we will consider independently of the HbA1c the treatment. This side of the flowchart then divides into 1. if cardiovascular disease predominates or 2. if heart failure or CKD predominates. So if atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease predominates either because there is established cardiovascular disease or there are indicators of high risk for getting cardiovascular disease then we will preferably give a GLP-1 receptor agonist with a proven cardiovascular benefit. And the chart tells us at the bottom, in the notes, that proven cardiovascular benefit means that it has a label indication for reducing cardiovascular events. If you can't give or don't want to give a GLP-1 receptor agonist, then we will give an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit as long as the EGFR is adequate. And again, it reminds us at the bottom of the chart that we have to be aware that SGLT2 inhibitors labeling varies by region and individual agents with regards to the indicated level of EGFR for initiation and continued use. Right, so we repeat again, independently of the HbA1c, and if cardiovascular disease predominates, we will give either a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor. And then we will look at the HbA1c, and if the HbA1c remains above target, then we will consider further intensification of the treatment. For patients who are on GLP-1 receptor agonists, we will give an SGLT2 inhibitor. And likewise, if they have been started on an SGLT2 inhibitor, then we will give them a GLP-1 receptor agonist. As an alternative, we can give a DPP-4 inhibitor if the patient is not on a GLP-1 receptor agonist, and this is because of the mode of action. Or we can also give basal insulin, bioglitazone, or a sulfonylurea. So we're just going to mix and match those agents, always preferably starting with a GLP-1 receptor agonist, then an SGLT2 inhibitor, and then we can give either a DPP-4 inhibitor if the patient is not on a GLP-1 receptor agonist, or basal insulin, bioglitazone, or a sulfonylurea. And also in the notes at the bottom, it tells us that Degludec 
and U100 Clara gene have demonstrated cardiovascular disease safety. It also tells us that a low dose of pioglitazone may be better tolerated, though less well studied for cardiovascular effects. And, in terms of sulfonylureas, it reminds us that we should choose later generations of sulfonylureas to lower the risk of hypoglycemia. And grimepiride has shown similar cardiovascular safety to the DPP4 inhibitors. So that concludes the section where cardiovascular disease predominates. Now, if heart failure or CKD predominate, particularly if it's reduced ejection fraction heart failure, or if CKD has an EGFR between 30 and 60, and microalbuminuria at least 30 mg per gram or more, we will use preferably an SGLT2 inhibitor with evidence of reducing heart failure and or CKD progression in cardiovascular outcomes trials, as long as the EGFR is adequate. So, it tells us in the notes at the bottom that both empaglifosin and canaglifosin have shown reduction in heart failure and also reduced CKD progression in cardiovascular outcomes trials. Canaglifosin has primary renal outcome data from Credence and dapaglifosin has primary heart failure outcomes from the DAPA heart failure trial. But all these details may be becoming less and less relevant because it is now increasingly thought that the SGLT2 inhibitors have a class effect. Now, if an SGLT2 inhibitor is not tolerated or contraindicated, or if the EGFR is less than adequate, we will give a GLP-1 receptor agonist with proven cardiovascular benefit. So it's more or less the other way around from the cardiovascular disease branch. There we give a GLP-1 receptor agonist first, and then an SGLT2 inhibitor second. Here, in heart failure or CKD, we're going to give an SGLT2 inhibitor first, and then a GLP-1 receptor agonist second. And again, we need to remember that if a patient has heart failure or CKD, we will consider this treatment with SGLT2 inhibitors or a GLP-1 receptor agonist independently of the HbA1c. And only then we will look at the HbA1c. And if the HbA1c is above the target, we will consider further treatment. The first thing that we have to consider is that we need to avoid bioglitazone in the setting of heart failure because it tends to worsen it because of fluid retention. We will try to stick to agents with cardiovascular safety. So for patients with an SGLT2 inhibitor, we will consider a GLP-1 receptor agonist, or we can give a DPP-4 inhibitor, but not saxagliptin in the setting of heart failure, as long as the patient is not on a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Alternatively, we can give basal insulin or a sulfonylurea. So in summary, after metformin, an SGLT2 inhibitor and a GLP receptor agonist, if we need to give any more drugs, we will avoid pyoglitazone and saxagliptin in the setting of heart failure. We can consider a TPP4 inhibitor, if not on a GLP-1 receptor agonist, or basal insulin or a sulfonylurea. Right, so this ends the branch of heart failure or CKD patients. So we have now covered both if a patient has got atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, heart failure or CKD. However, if a patient has not got those conditions and they're not at high risk of those conditions, 
then we will give metformin and then we will be guided by the HbA1c in order to decide whether to give more treatment. And we divide this treatment in three, depending on whether one, we want to minimize hypoglycemia, two, we want to minimize weight gain or promote weight loss, and three, when cost of treatment is a major issue. So again, we divide the treatment on whether we focus on hypoglycemia, on weight, or on cost. Firstly, we will look at the branch where minimizing hypoglycemia is our priority. And for those patients, we will use any of the agents that are not associated with hypoglycemia. That is, a DPP-4 inhibitor, a GLP-1 receptor agonist, an SGLT2 inhibitor, or bioglitazone. So we give dual therapy with metformin and one of those drugs. If the HbA1c remains above target, then we will give triple therapy with metformin and any combination of the drugs already mentioned, a DPP-4 inhibitor, a GLP-1 receptor agonist, an SGLT2 inhibitor or bioglitazone, bearing in mind that we must not combine a GLP-1 receptor agonist and a DPP-4 inhibitor but all other combinations are allowed. And then, if the HbA1c remains above target on triple therapy, we will continue with additions of other agents, so we can go to quadruple therapy. Finally, if the HbA1c remains above target, then we will consider the addition of a sulfonylurea or basal insulin. And with sulfonylureas, we will choose the later generations with lower risk of hypoglycemia such as glimepiride, or we will consider a basal insulin with lower risk of hypoglycemia. And there's a small note at the bottom of the chart that tells us that the insulin with lowest risk of hypoglycemia is Degludec and Glargin U300, followed by Glargin U100 and Detemir, followed by finally NPH insulin. Now the second branch is when we're going to focus on the weight because we need to minimize weight gain or promote weight loss. In these cases, we will give either a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor, because both these agents are associated with weight loss. And a small note at the bottom of the chart tells us the GLP-1 receptor agonists with good efficacy for weight loss. The best one is semaglutide, followed by liraglutide, then dulaglutide, then exenatide, and finally lexisenatide. So if we can, we will give them always either semaglutide or liraglutide. And then, if the HbA1c remains above target, we will give the second of those two agents. So if the patient has had a GLP-1 receptor agonist, we will give an SGLT2 inhibitor. And if they have had an SGLT2 inhibitor, then we will give a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And if the HbA1c remains above target, then we will start quadruple therapy because the patient would already be on metformin, a GLP-1 receptor agonist and an SGLT2 inhibitor. But if this combination is not tolerated or contraindicated, then the lowest risk of weight gain is with a DPP-4 inhibitor. And this is because the DPP-4 inhibitor has got weight neutrality, but can only be given if the patient is not already on a GLP-1 receptor agonist. If the DPP-4 inhibitor is not tolerated or contraindicated, or if the patient is already on a GLP-1 receptor agonist, we would use cautiously a sulfonylurea, bioglitazone, or basal insulin. 
and this is because all these agents are associated with weight gain. Finally, the last branch of the flowchart is when we're going to focus on the cost, because cost is a major issue. And there is a note at the bottom of the page that is going to tell us when we should consider cost to be a major issue. Therefore, cost should be our focus. If there are no specific comorbidities, that is, no established cardiovascular disease, there is a low risk of hypoglycemia and weight is not a real concern. Also, there is a warning in terms of cost, saying that we need to consider country and region-specific costs of drugs, because in some countries, for example, bioglitazone can be relatively more expensive and a DPP-4 inhibitor relatively cheaper. So, looking at the flowchart, if cost is a concern, after metformin, we will start with either sulfonylurea or bioglitazone, which are generally the cheapest agents. And if the HbA1c is above target, we will go into triple therapy with metformin, sulfonylurea and pyoglitazone. And if the HbA1c remains above target, then we will consider either insulin therapy, giving basal insulin with the lowest acquisition cost, or we can consider a DPP-4 inhibitor or an SGLT2 inhibitor with the lowest acquisition cost. Or in other words, we go into quadruple therapy according to whatever is the most cost-effective combination. Right, this is it. We have completed the review of the European Association for the Study of Diabetes and the American Diabetes Association Consensus Guidelines flowchart. So this is the end of this episode and the summary of the recommendations. There is also a YouTube version of this episode in the nice GP YouTube channel and I will leave a link in the episode description. Thank you for listening and I hope that you will join me in the next one.